Hey, I'm Daniel Colburn. I'm Caleb Porzio. Uh, welcome to 20% Time, where two coworkers discuss one programming topic per week for an average of 33.2 minutes. Decal. C. Pours. Caleb Pours. You're a man about town. You got your cards in your hand? Do you have your cards in your hand? I do. A couple of, couple of gentlemen with cards in their hands. Let's, uh, let's give a little riffle for the mic. Mm. <laughs> the sort of ultimate fidget spinner. Yeah. No, it's yeah. amazing. I have recently... I'll tweet a picture of my card stack. Uh, I put it in Slack the other day. Yeah, that's quite impressive. But I've developed I've developed a stack on the corner of my desk that has, at the current moment, 10, 16 decks of cards, uh, one half dollar and one silver Morgan dollar from 1883, and one copy of The Expert at the Card Table. Uh, and it's just my little fidget corner. Very nice. It's very cool. Yeah, it's like a nice it. corner. It's not just a bunch of, uh, I was going to say bicycle, but bicycle cards are good, but like it's not, you know, it's not a bunch not of cheap just like, decks of cards. You got some. No, no, some I've been investing. I invest, listen, you know, they say that you should invest in things. Yeah, you should diversify, definitely. <laughs> I've diversified my investments. And, you know, normally when people invest in cards as an investment, they don't like open every single pack and like mess with them and get their hand oils all over them. Right. But I'm taking a different approach. Yeah, I Which mean that's fine. To buy a bunch of cards and then uh and then just put mess your hand with them oils all the time. On yeah, and somehow that's going to pay dividends. If you get famous. That's true. My hand oils could be worth something one day. Yeah. You know, it could happen. Um, here's an interesting thing that's happening in my life, Caleb. Let me tell you. Uh so you've heard of Ziggy. I've heard. Um Ziggy is a an open source repository. Uh, which I manage in addition to actually like doing things. Yep. One of its performance characteristics is as an open source repository. And I am having a very interesting experience, which is a guy came into the repository, uh, the issues, guy came into the issues and said, I'm going to reopen this issue because I just closed it. And then he gave me reason to reopen it. Um, reopen issue. All right. He comes in and says, Hey, uh, would you consider replacing Webpack with Rollup via Microbundle? Oh, right. Uh, I've done this on a branch uh, and the UMD bundle. I don't know what UMD stands for. Um, d- okay, go on. Is Universal module. I don't know. Whatever. It's module the, department. It's like the thing when I when I roll up my sleeves and I learn Webpack for the 50th time every time I need to when do that. You, uh, sorry, did you say when you uh, roll up? When I roll up. Roll up? My sleeves. <laughs> Your sleeves? Yes. Mm. When mm-hmm. I do that, uh, yeah, that's one of the things that I like. It's like one of the Webpack options. I don't know. I'm just rambling. But huh. UMD, I'm always like, maybe that's the thing that I'll set it to and then everything will work. And then it does. Yeah. So. It doesn't do that. Um, anyway, so now I'm. it's really cool because I have. So there's this guy, um, Anchor. Let me get his Pause, actual full Pause, decal, message yep. for you and the audience. 
I think we should kill our video. Okay. Let's do, do it. it. How do I do that? Stop video. Stop video. Yeah, I realized last time I'm, I'm like, well, one, if I see you like looking off or something, it distracts me because I'm like, okay. then I'm like trying to get your attention or I'm like distracted. Or if you, um, like if you're giving me a facial expression that the, that the like audience is not in on, I don't know. You I just, you think it's more engaging for the audience if we have the same information that they do. Yeah, I'm right. I think it kind of levels the, the playing field a little bit. Very good. Anyway, continue. So there's this guy, Ankur Kumar, um, and he is from India, and he has become an integral part of the existence of Ziggy. Nice. Um, he is the JavaScript build pipeline expert of Ziggy, which is a very important thing for Ziggy to have because I am not a JavaScript build pipeline expert. Um and so what happens is every time we need to update Webpack or change the way that our build pipeline works or someone wants to add some sort of TypeScript uh, typing response to Ziggy or anything like that, that's going to require like a pretty significant change to the Webpack configuration, Anchor is the guy who I, I call upon to be like, nice. does this make sense? Um, yeah. So anyway, this guy... Brad uh, comes in and says, "Hey, I in a branch I pulled in Rollup and Microbundle, and it's now way smaller, um, and there are six fewer dependencies. Uh, do you want a PR for this?" And so, I've now gotten to watch over the last three or four days as Anchor and Brad have gone back and forth about whether this is a good idea, mm-hmm. creating multiple pull requests, uh, and like it looks like. So initially it looked like we could get way, way, way smaller by using Rollup. Um, but then we realized that one of the reasons for that was that it was dropping the polyfills that made us compatible with IE11. Um, and so then it was like, oh, do we want to be way smaller but not support IE11? Or do we want to stay the same size and support IE11? And now Brad is saying that we can be 38% smaller with support for IE11 and that he's going to make a pull request to that effect. And I'm very excited. So this is cool because some, like a major change is happening in my project and all I'm doing is like reading the comments as it happens. This is, this must be what Taylor feels like all the time. We're like great code is being written around me and like smart decisions are being made and people are making good cases on both sides Mm. and i'm just sitting here tenting my fingers being like hmm very good bring me another pull request (laughs) (laughs) squire so anyway this is fun this is uh you know there's a lot there's a lot of pain in uh in having an open source repository but this is a very cool moment and i'm enjoying it that's cool i i wonder if uh like if if you decide to go roll up, do you lose Anchor? His name is like his last name is Anchor, so I could just call him Anchor. His first name is Anchor. Okay, um, Anchor Kumar. Okay, so you lose Anchor's, uh, you know, his ability to like kind of manage the webpacky stuff. Well, that's the question, right? And I think either way, I'm only going to go a certain direction if Anchor is my is my check my sanity check yeah so if anchor says don't go roll up we don't go roll up right that is my position but 
Anchor is not saying don't go roll up. He's just saying I don't think that your claims about the size are actually valid. Ah, yeah. Please demonstrate. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I this is something that I've sort of come across with better PHP unit. Um, and I'm, I mean this is just a thing I'm sure every most open source projects sort of deal with. But there's this point where um, like a lot of people wanted Docker support for so better PHP units. My VS Code plugin for running PHP unit tests in better php unit and in uh php yeah okay um and you know a lot of people want a lot of people have uh their you know their local dev environment is dockerized or they're using homestead vagrant or something like that so they uh quickly like people started submitting issues that you know to for support for this and so it seemed like a big enough thing that this plugin is going to be way more useful for like there's enough people in Laravel that don't just use valet that um you know should be able to run their tests. So anyway, but it was sort of this crossroads where I was like do I go into like I don't use Docker. I have all the stuff set up, but I don't I don't use it in my day to day. So it's not something that I'm going to be able to really drive, you know, or even check or test. So I just I don't know. I took a like a gamble and was like, "All right, well, I'll pull it in as long as it doesn't break my stuff." You guys can just figure it out, but I'm not going to, like, develop Docker stuff. I'm not going to, like, officially support it personally. Yep. Um, which has been sort of an interesting issue that, like, I don't have any one... Uh, TJ Miller has been really good about being active on the repo for this type of stuff. And there's some other people, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's like I don't have an official person. So I hear that you have Anchor handling an area that you're not an expert in, but he's the expert and he's handling it. And I'm hearing that I'm like, oh man, that's so valuable to have somebody yeah, that. I don't know when exactly that happened. He just started. Uh, well, no, I do remember he PR'd like. Basically, he didn't like the way that my um, <laughs> he didn't like the way that my Webpack config was, um, and so he just PR'd a change. It was like this is better, <laughs> ah. um, and then I looked at it and like it was better. Um, and so then ever since then there was a situation where Ziggy remember like back in the like NPM security vulnerabilities yes. 2017 era well what was the package I forget what the package was but it was like some dependency had a security vulnerability and it showed up on everyone's GitHub pages and it was very embarrassing yeah um, and so we had that and so I started trying to update to Webpack 4 which was the way to get rid of that dependency um and he had written the webpack config and so i was not good at updating to webpack 4 mm-hmm. um and so then i asked him if he would do it and then he did it and then in the process sort of took ownership over the javascript build pipeline um and it's been pretty cool that's awesome yeah i just had a thought open source yep. related um so with better php unit i uh like I have a bunch of options. Um, like you can set, uh, I don't even know. You can set like pre- like command prefix, like different stuff. Like let's say if you want, every time you run your tests, you want there to be a group flag added. Like there's there's uh, options for stuff like that, you know, in yep. the VS Code config. Um, so while I was building it, I added an option for uh, for suffix maybe. I think I called it, I don't even know what it's called, but uh, command suffix, suffix maybe. What's that? Yeah probably suffix yeah i think it's command suffix and basically it's an option that you can put anything you want 
in there and it'll just suffix itself onto the actual PHP unit command and what it served as like I didn't need it at the time but I figured like hey I might as well do this thing that that now people can just you know add their own stuff if they need it or to fix stuff so anyway I made it like pretty configurable more configurable than it um, needed to be at the time. than it needed to be which felt odd to me because I was like well you know that it should be I'd, I'd like it to be simple sensible defaults like you know, I don't want this to be the endlessly configurable nightmare that, you know, isn't accessible or people don't like, uh, I don't know. Um, but I, I kind of erred on the side of more configurability. Um, and it's paid off like big time because now in the repo, when people, when people run across an issue, somebody can explore a fix and they've like often there's a fix that you can just That's override. That's just like configuration. This. Yeah, right. And, or just override the... Um, like the binary like instead of like i default to vendor slash bin slash php unit but you can override that so you could make it anything you want you could make it whatever um and so that's also a prefix so you could prefix that command so basically you have full full control over the command which uh basically i mean it so many people can there's issues that get closed by people just saying hey like it'd be great if this was pulled into the package but here's a thing that you could do um so that's huh. been super useful, and I I think it's like I see it similarly like uh, macroable in Laravel. Yeah, like when macros came out, like now Taylor can just say, yeah, I don't know if I want this in core, but you can macro it, you know. Yeah, and which it's sometimes annoying, um, because now now that's that's an option that he can reach for before seriously before considering integrating something into core, right? Right, but it's also I just PR'd um, uh, cookie jar to be macroable, um. So not everything is still macroable, but anyway, I I wanted this. Why is this. that not? Why is everything not macroable? Yeah, I've thought about that. I I think um, I don't know. Is there anything wrong with? I mean, the PR like to like any P. If you want to become, if you want to up your contributor contributor game, just on make Laravel, classes macroable. PR like everything macroable. But I I haven't looked in the history to know if that's been tried before. If he has any reasoning for not just wanting everything macroable. Yeah, but it seems like most things are macroable. Just the little like edge ones, like cookie jar, encryptor, stuff like that. Yeah, there's an interesting. This isn't exactly the same because it's not. It wasn't intentionally a configuration. Um, but in Ziggy, I uh, for testability reasons, I ended up doing a bunch of weird stuff um, and having a ton of optional params. Okay. Um, so the route function, which is like our primary right, right. method in Ziggy, um, most of the time you only use the first two uh, arguments, which are name and params. But then you need that false at the end there to get the path. Yeah, so that's the absolute. Um, right. So that's an absolute flag, which it can be true or false, but defaults to true. Um, and then there is a, there's a fourth argument called custom Ziggy. And custom Ziggy is a very interesting one hmm. that is defaults to null, um, but basically lets you pass in a custom. Um, so there's there's like a Ziggy object uh, that ends up in your in your JavaScript uh, if you use the blade directive. Okay. Right, it's like a you know variable called Ziggy yeah. that has all of your route objects and a couple of other things in it. Yeah, and that basically is all the data from Laravel that you need to to do stuff with Ziggy. Right. 
Um, and so I basically added this custom Ziggy thing that lets you override that if you don't oh, want to use the one that's in the window. Um, and I use that for testing, right? Just so that I could like, like play out. with weird situations yeah. where you, what would happen if I passed in this weird Ziggy or whatever. Right, right. Um, but I've actually, it's ended up being the answer to like a bunch of people's issues as well. Oh, yeah. Like someone was like, oh man, I really want to do this. And it, usually it's something where it's like, like I have this weird situation where like I have a security policy that won't let me pass in this JavaScript variable, you know, or something weird like that. Right. You know, so they, they want to like find a way to like pass in Ziggy in a different way or like that, you know, it's some reason the, they don't use blade or something, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, Oh, well turns out there's this like random affordance I created for myself for testing that you can use for, uh, for your weird thing. Yeah, that's great. It's it's definitely a a trade off of um like like the risk is like we said like uh, you could ignore a lot of genuine needs by just sort of painting it over with a big broad stroke like oh just mm-hmm. put it you know oh, you have macroable do your thing um, but it's also insanely helpful for people who have edge cases and things like that so better than than adding ten configuration options for ten different cases to just you know have you know your extra param custom ziggy or macroable or yeah the thing or whatever. I, the thing i wanted to like bring that around to though was like that i think it's really interesting that uh tools or affordances that make something more testable like usually the goals of testability oh. also happen to coincide with like increased configurability yeah interesting right? yep. because to make something more testable you want to like get all the little bits in isolation yep right and by doing that, that means that you're passing around smaller chunks so that if someone wanted to change something, they could only change that chunk and then just change the place where that's passed in. Yeah. Uh, and you end up with, you know, a more configurable thing by creating a more testable thing. Yeah, totally. So yet another reason to write testable code. <laughs> that is totally true. Agreed. Agreed. So you got married? Have we? <laughs> oh, I got married. You were there. You played a guitar. Yeah. You played uh, the motto by Drake on the <laughs> guitar by a fire. It was very good. Oh, that was a great time. It was a grand killer old time. wedding. It was super fun, dude. I loved it. Yeah. I've actually. Uh, so Charlotte made like all the flowers and stuff. Uh, oh. like it was it was all those they were like these dried flowers her and her mom like bought dried flowers on the internet and then charlotte just like arranged them yeah and uh they're really cool totally and so i've got uh i've like pinned my boot because they're dried so they'll just like never get less alive than they are now uh-huh um so i've just like pinned my boutonniere to my wall Sweet. behind my monitor so i'm looking at it right now it was a pretty good wedding though it was great yeah totally good wedding for show um for show yep it was in a retro trailer park uh which i had never heard i didn't know they existed but is it's that like cool is there a bunch of those in Asheville? no i think that's the only one okay um and by trailer park <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was in like an old trailer park <laughs> it was a trailer park we uh yeah it was super great um no it was like this it's like a they call it like a, a campground but i don't know yeah, what right. it is yeah it's a campground. it's basically yeah, like totally. a bunch of retro <laughs> like rvs 
Yeah, like Airstreams and yeah. Shasta campers and stuff like that. Yep. It was so, pretty cool. So D. Cole kindly hooked me up with uh, one of those, and Hannah and I got to stay in a sweet retro camper that are amazing. Like, the upholstery is all brand new. Everything's, like, brand new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like, redid them all yeah. from the inside. That's crazy. You're building a camper right now. That's true. Yeah. You're, you're a camper man. I am. I'm building, a, like, a teardrop camper. So, similar thing. Yeah, it's, like, going to look retro. It's going to be aluminum. Um, I saw that picture you posted recently. Okay, it looks really good. The what? The sh- what I'm building? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. It's uh, it's not like even. Sh- I showed it to Charlotte, and she was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "I know, dude. Look, they're like they're building the camper." Yeah, we're trying. Cool. I. It's pretty crazy. I. Uh, it. You know. I mean, it's a massive project, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, and I. I work on it every single day and it's uh it's a massive undertaking <laughs> it's insane but how if you were to like uh you know obviously hashtag no estimates and everything but right if you were to like take a look at like how far you think you're uh you think you are yeah what do you think what do you th- like like timeline or percentage along? yeah percentage percentage uh i would say 40 40 percent 42 percent so like yeah. the structure is basically there no well yes yeah so like the floor and the walls now i'm doing cabinetry and you have to do the cabinetry before you do the roof and the roof is a whole other part of the structure so that's, you know? is the roof going to be like bent plywood yeah i'm not gonna you don't have to like steam bend it or anything if you use thin enough plywood uh-huh, um, you can just kind of curl it on there yeah yep so just clamp it like crazy um yeah and yeah so right now it's cabinetry it's like that that's the advanced stuff that i've never done before like tongue and groove um, mm. cabinetry which is mm-hmm. out of my league which is a lot, of joinery. So doing a lot some joinery. of joinery got the router table going mm, yeah good. actually this segue um like i so i started this project and i've done woodworking in the past like i've always been into it but i'm not a woodworker um mm-hmm. so like i had to buy a bunch of tools and i'm just kind of learning as i go but uh but it, it has all the makings of a lifelong mastery area dude, just I like know, programming I dude i i am such an aspirational woodworking fanboy <laughs> i watch so many youtube videos oh yeah workers i probably in the course of the last year i have probably watched 80 hours of like bros with studios explaining <laughs> woodworking techniques to me that's awesome all right so we had a brief interlude wherein I had a local area outage of internet service. Isn't that a shame? So but you're back. You, you may have heard a small sound or a boop, uh, which it, which indicated that moment. Right. There is uh, snow falling outside for the first time this year. Very Congratulations! Nice. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. soft snowfall. Yeah. 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 You got any topics? Um, so real quick, mm-hmm. let's button up. Uh, I do have a couple, um, mm-hmm. but I wanted to button up the woodworking thing. Let's button up the woodworking thing as like a uh, another area of lifelong mastery. If anyone, if if you're interested in it, so yeah. Um. Anyway, so two things that I've heard about woodworking that always stuck with me and I loved. And I think 
there's things like this that apply to programming. I can't think of a bunch off the top of my head, so I'm interested to hear if you have any thoughts. Okay. Um, so one thing I heard some somebody say that like every tool in woodworking, every tool is just a variation on the chisel. Um, so if you understand the chisel and if you know how to use a chisel well, then uh, then you understand like all wood, woodworking tools at a fundamental level. Um, which is sense. super interesting because, you know, like the direction of grain dictates a lot of things like, you know, with a chisel. Mm-hmm. Um, if you start, if you start like making, uh, you know, like put it, pushing in the chisel, hammering in the chisel, whatever with the grain, it'll like split farther than the width of the chisel. So you start the first chisel, like, you know, you hammer it down against the grain and then you go with the grain so that that grain butts up against the cut. grain. Anyway, stuff like that. So once you understand that, like, every, you know, a saw blade has just a bunch of tiny chisels. Sure, um, sure, sure. Stuff Very like that. So, rotating so I th- chisels. I, I'm always attracted to statements like that. There's another one, uh, Roy Under- Underhill, he's like PBS. When I was a kid, I used to watch, uh, um, uh, what, what was it called? Uh, Woodwright's Workshop, like him and Colonial Williamsburg using like hand tools. And he actually did a TED talk and in it, he's standing on top of a log and he has, I think it's called have broad axe will travel. It's super good. And the way he's describing the log, he's he's like, you know, with in wood, every piece of wood has a plane of weakness. We call it the grain, but it's really a plane of weakness and you can exploit that weakness to, you know, and that's. Oh, I, I forget how he puts it, but ba- that was like, uh, I don't know. I loved that because it's, it's very true. Like if you understand the grain as a plane of weakness, you can then, you know, exploit it to, um, you know, use it to your advantage when you're woodworking. So um, anyway, so those are two, two things about wood, two statements that I adore. And I was trying to think if there's, I know there's similar ones to programming. The one that came to my mind that I don't even know if it's a real one, but like, Pearl is just uh like like regex expressions like like you could basically do a whole program right, right, right. like stuff like that like uh, all all code at its most atomic level is conditionals I don't know whatever stuff like that yeah, 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 yeah. um do any come to mind for you um not really I mean I think there's something to be said about uh like functional programming maybe. Okay. Like I feel like you could go down that road with functional programming. Yeah. Like if you could if you could come up with like a really good definition for a function and just say like all programming is is just like taking a set of arguments and returning something. Yeah, right. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. And then all all that's all it is all the way down. But if you could come up with a good metaphor for what taking a set of arguments and returning something is. Right. You, then know? you could have a nice a nice simple statement. Yep. Yeah, I dig. Okay. Um, I have also sleight of hand. Sleight of hand, also a, a a lifelong mastery thing. Ah, right. It's very interesting. Yeah, totally. I I've gone somewhat into that world, but not not as not as like an adult who understands mastery. I guess it's very interesting, man. There's a there's some insane stuff. The amount of books that have been written on the topic of sleight of hand is insane. Mm. Like, I did not realize how much literature yeah. there was. You know, I recently just bought a book, The Expert at the Card Table, which is was originally about how to cheat at poker. Oh, yeah. Um, but includes 
you know, everything from like false shuffles to card controls mm-hmm. to palming to shifts to forcing a card, you know, and like bottom dealing and all of these things that like, it's interesting that the application this guy wrote the book for was cheating at poker. Right. But though many of the techniques that he wrote ended up becoming like staples of sleight of hand magic. So that's super interesting. That is an interesting thing that I've, uh, I don't know. I've seen that, that like that a lot of, um, well, you can tell me if it's true that a lot of, a lot of magic comes out of card cheating. Yeah. Um, like you just said, Erdnace, have you read it? Yeah, that's the, that's the book I'm, he wrote the book. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, like that's the book. I don't. I've never yeah, yeah, read yeah. it, but I know enough to know that's the book. Yeah, it's nice. pretty crazy, dude. And it's super old, right? Super old. Yeah, old language, old weird line drawing illustrations. Nice. Super good though. Sweet. Sweet beans. Yeah, I have a friend who's who's pretty heavy into it, and uh, I don't know. From what I know between you and him, it sounds like totally in uh, a deep, deep, deep dive into super interesting stuff yeah it's just like so weird because like there's muscles that you just don't use that Mm. uh that like get developed as soon as you start doing little movements right anyway anyway topics so i got sort of a topic um i actually i think we talked about this at your wedding uh okay with you and some friends um super cool friends we it was cool we had like we're all sitting around a campfire and there's lots of tech talent around this campfire (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so the conversation is anyway um and i was talking about how like view components are maybe the most interesting programming paradigm to me like react components or view components like so uh stop i mean you you well I have to explain it for the user, for the the audience. Um, So I don't know. I was just thinking like, like classes are cool. Object orientation, that's really cool. But there's something about the one, one thingness of view components or react components or whatever, just a component driven front end. Right. That is magical. That like, that's all there is, is components, you know? Yeah. And within them, there's different types of components and whatever. But in general, you have these entities that, pull in props and they fire up events or manipulate state or whatever. Um, and you can nest them and stuff like that. You can compose them. So uh, I don't know. There's something about that oneness that just feels like amazing to me that I'm like, wow, how can one thing work for everything? You know? You know what I think is special about components? Because basically components are just like object orientation. Right. Right. Um, but what I think what's special about components um, beyond just like normal classes is that they have names for two things that exist in all objects, but don't like aren't named and assigned a role. Mm, right. Okay. And those two things are the arguments that are passed into the object. Right. Which we call props. Yeah. Um, and the uh basically like the class attributes which we would call like state right or if you're in view you would just call data yeah right um i heard that little laugh <laughs> right so condescending great naming great naming so view. Arrogant. <laughs> never call anything data except i love view <laughs> um anyway uh the uh, 
And the idea that like, because like if you're in a class, like how many, here's a paradigm, right? Uh, I'm going to make a class. I'm going to make a constructor. The constructor takes two arguments. And then the body of the constructor is this dot argument one equals argument one. Mm -hmm. This or arrow. This arrow argument two equals argument two. Mm -hmm. Like how many times have you done that? Oh my gosh. So many times, right? So many times. And that's because I passed these things into this class because I wanted to use them in the class. Yeah. Right? Uh Um, And so I'm going to save them to a class attribute that has the same name as the argument. Yep. What components do is they just know that you're going to want to do that. Right. And they just wire it up for you and they hopefully store it under a different namespace um, than the namespace of things that you're going to assign from within the class. Yeah. But... If you're in view, maybe not. Maybe it's all just jumbled up in one thing. Okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think I think the the thing that those the fact that those two things are like named and given a role and right. given like a a space to exist as like a a thing uh, is what makes components interesting. And then also there's the render method. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. And there's the idea that like. And in this, in my last trick, you know, I'll I'll take all of this data that you've done and I'll just like shove it into a bunch of JSX, you know, or yeah. I'll like, you know, I'll do whatever. And so it's like a funnel, you know, like yep. your component is designed as like this funnel and it's like it takes in some props, it does some magic to create some state, you know, and then it renders. Yeah. And it's just, it's such, such a, clean thing you know it's an object it's an object that has like a little bit of a little bit of direction it's got some inherent momentum right to right. it and that's that's a little magical yeah yeah i mean you you totally nailed it so i was thinking similar thoughts like what you know what's different about a view component than a class you know um mm-hmm. and i mean exactly what you said so I started like drawing up a little experiment. I'm like, what? Because I, I would love, how can we, how can I utilize this paradigm in the back end? And I mean, I am kind of with objects, but, uh, but there's something, the thing that's missing is, yeah, like we have props, but we don't have render functions in classes because there's, because the end, the end goal in the back end is not necessarily, you know, DOM. Um, you know what we do have though? Handle. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say like handle or call. Yeah. Like event listeners right. or, you know, or whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, so check this out. I, I started writing out like a concept and I wonder if it's interesting. It's at least interesting. Yes. So please. picture this. I love a concept. It's I'm a picturing. new, it's a new web framework. Sorry, Laravel. Whole new <laughs> web framework. And you start out with one file, period. And that file you use HTML or XML, and I think I think we talked about this framework once on episode like three, the index.php framework. I don't, I don't know. So, <laughs> well, I anyway, that could be on, very possible. On. I forget everything. No, it, it was a joke. It was a joke. We were talking about like levels of complexity. Oh yeah, and yeah. I was like on an infinite time scale, like you could just write all your code in one PHP file, and you're like, ah, yes, the index.php framework. <laughs> so this would pretty much be that index.xml maybe. Um, so picture this: you start out like an HTML uh, file where you have an HTML root, but you have a routes root. 
so like or router root or whatever and then inside of that that they, would be really difficult for people who uh s- pronounce route as root because then you would have a roots root true that's funny Do, like so what like route route is the way right like the way yeah i would say yeah like i say routes but i also I, live by route five like no one says route five where i live mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. all route five yeah um so so yeah so then inside of that like every class is represented as an xml tag and attributes are passed in like props and you can nest them and compose them i don't really know how that works so if i i don't have it fully envisioned but let's say you have like a user model you um you do like you know caret user caret and then you end the tag and you pass in like id and then it the user model internally does everything it needs to do um, okay and then you have this user element I don't really know where to go from there, but I'm picturing like. So you're you're basically saying like there would be XML files that would act as like a wrapper around, um, classes that extend some sort of like base component. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because I'm just think, like, is if, there if a you way think to think about it like this? Right. Say you have like user ID one or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um. So that would be wired up somehow to like scaffold a user class right okay yeah um and so the way that would or not to scaffold to uh to hydrate a user class right yeah and so you would end up basically getting a user class and then presumably all of the xml attributes would be passed in in a single array to the constructor right Mm -hmm. um and then the constructor would somehow by by being you know by extending this component class the constructor would know how to you know parse that array and figure out which of those things were declared as incoming props and stuff like that you know yeah and then and then what yeah i don't know that's the thing because (laughs) (laughs) well like for middleware it sounds like a great plan because you could just net like like it's it's it more fits um the middleware paradigm you know you could have like i don't know your root like can, route. wait and then... so can you explain how this works as a, in a router i forgot that we were talking about a router and now it doesn't make any sense to me okay so you have one file index.xml mm-hmm. and you have access to these built-in components from the framework but you can also create your own and so you have a built-in one called router and everything it's one tag and everything's inside of the router tag and inside of router, you have access to, I don't know, current route or whatever. Um, I don't know how to do the switching, but you can, you have a controller tag for your, I don't know, welcome controller. So you have welcome, welcome controller is an actual, an XML tag and you could nest it right in there or you could wrap other middleware tags around it and then the request would go through the middleware. Um, oh, I see. And so then like, eventually like the base thing gets called yeah whatever's at the base and that could be like go to a controller yeah right and then but i mean i i think i would love it if it was a oneness principle like everything was a component and every so your controller is also like your controller inside what's a oneness principle so (laughs) that's 
So my theory of one. Take me to space here, Caleb. Like the What's thing that I'm attracted to is not different concepts like controllers and action. You know, like I'm interested in one thing. Like, mm-hmm. like I want a paradigm. A paradigm that's one thing. Like mm-hmm. not like an Angular paradigm. Where, and I'm, I know Angular is different now, but like as a front end framework that was controllers and um, uh, models and views and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one thing. That's all you have is one thing few components but back-end components mm-hmm. but so i don't the whole thing could be complete like nonsense because you don't you know you're not manipulating dom in the way you are on the front end but in a sense what is the end of a back-end application it's it's output you know it's either api like json output or it's yeah it's requests in responses out yeah so what's what's the difference? Where the there front is the that, same that's way. That's your you, you want your you want your uh, all woodworking as a chisel. There it is. It, it's all requests in, responses out. Yeah, totally. It's all requests in, responses out. Yep. And, and wouldn't so it be dandy? What if, you're saying is the XML file basically takes on the entire responsibility of like sorting through requests and figuring out where they need to go. Yeah. And then the nested XML ish tree. Uh, basically like filters requests down until they hit the lowest level which then gets a response and then is passed back up the tree and that response is altered until it reaches the top level again and then is returned right yep that's pretty cool um and that's all there is there's nothing but xml tags there's no you know that's it and so every xml tag either returns okay so here's the deal uh let's let's give xml tags a name that isn't xml tag let's call them components okay (laughs) much better (laughs) um so every component um because we don't really have a render method right because this isn't about rendering right um well maybe it is no it's not okay that's that's too specific okay you know, because like a middleware doesn't render. Right. Um, and so I think every tag, so there's two possibilities with a tag, right? It can either be outputting, like, like creating output. Okay. Or it can be, um, so, okay. So there's like pass through tags and then there's final tags. Does that make sense? Okay, you're already breaking the theory of oneness, though. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not breaking the theory of oneness. Okay. Give me a sec. Right? But, like, a middleware is, like, a pass-through tag, yeah. right? Yeah, Like, yeah. something... Pass-through component. Jeez. Um, right? So, it takes some input... Because it's, like, a higher-order component. I guess that's what I mean by pass-through. It's yeah. a higher-order component. Yeah, I get you. you. Know? Yep. Um, whereas... Uh, you know the actual like controller endpoint that returns like a list of users like there's nothing you could nest under that right they could be the same thing but it boomerangs at that point like everything passes to the next thing and then receives back from whatever like ev- everything gets hit on the way down and the way up let's say yep okay so even your controller at the end behaves the same way but it passes it to like it's like throwing a ping pong ball at a wall like you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but no but there's got to be a way for a for a uh component so, okay so say every component had like a 
um, like a request. Oh, okay. Every component has a request and response method. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. And so the request method accepts the request, modifies yep. it, and then passes it down the chain. Right. Yep. And then the response method modifies the response or gets the response, modifies it, and then passes it up the chain. Yeah. Right? Right. Now, the only question is there needs to be some way for a component to indicate I am the bottom of the chain. Uh, okay. Let's just say that there is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't know what that is. I mean, it could be nothing. Like it could, no, it, no, 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 it could just be in the response method. Right. Like we could, there could just be like a response, like in the response method, say you returned response dot complete or something in the request method. Or yeah, ooh, 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 there you go. In the request method, say you do request dot respond. Right. You know, or something like that. Yeah. And then that is the thing that flips it yeah. and starts passing up the response. And everybody calls their their parent responders. Yep. Yeah. This could be so weird. <laughs> right? So how could it's you accomplish so... something? Like let's say like what's a very simple use case? Let's just say um an API endpoint that you send an ID and you get back a user array, you know, JSON mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. data. Okay, here, here. Let's um let's use I like GitHub API as okay. an example, right? So it's the GitHub API. Um and I'm going let's make it a repositories index. Wait. Right? Can we not do that? Why? <laughs> Cuz it's so much simpler to just do user. No, I know, but I want to talk about the I want to talk about the simple case first. And then once we've talked about it, I want to talk about all of the many complications that are, exist in GitHub. Okay. So it's like uh, a way to flesh out this idea. Okay. So let's start with the user and then move to <laughs> GitHub resources. Fine. User. You just ahead. said resources index and I'm like, or repository index. I'm like, no. Please okay, no. Okay, fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, all right. So you, you come in the... what? Wait, what is the, the name of this route? Uh, users. Users.index? Oh, user.show. Yeah, yeah, user.show. Okay, so we're on the user.show. Yes. Yep, user.show. And so you have your, your route component that accepts, you know, the URL, so it knows the ID. So the route component... The route component looks for... All right, so let's say you define components inside of the route component like different paths, right? So you have different controllers. Like, forget about middleware for a second. You just mm-hmm. have different... Like, you can have multiple routes, I suppose, for... Right? So, so are you picturing that? Like, there's a route tag, and then inside of it, there's a bunch of sibling controller tags. Yeah, I would say... Um, I would say there's just a router tag. Okay. And then inside of that router tag... um there's a bunch of are there sibling controller tags i don't know about that right and how do you know what sibling what controller tag to pass it to like so you could have a little bit of functionality well no there's a there. bunch of no 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 there's a bunch of filters maybe there's filter tags that like parse the actual string of the url oh interesting you know because you yeah, need to yeah. have you need to be able to like set a a string that because like imagine like route groups or something you know yeah like you want the whole posts 
index show create edit like you want the whole crud for posts under one tag okay i think because resources maybe sure yeah so you just have some sort of tag you have a resource string filtering you have a resource tag you have a resource tag right okay um, but either way, no matter what, it could be separate controllers. It could be one controller that, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's some so you've way. Got a, you've got a, okay, you've got a, so you've got a router tag and then you have a resource name users or name user tag. And then under that user tag, you have a show tag. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then in the show tag, you have uh return, you know, you have a user tag. Um, mm-hmm that you pass in the id yeah i don't know and then in the user tag you have a database tag uh like a query tag no you think this is all in one file uh i don't i know i mean each each one has their own sure i mean we can represent it all in one file for talking purposes but each each component has their own like programming inside of it you know like view interesting (laughs) <laughs> okay this is not what i was picturing you know what i'm saying on. like everything's a component so if you so query builder component this is crazy this is crazy you know and you pass in oh, sql to, as a prop and it passes why don't you want to write php yeah this isn't this isn't a new framework it's actually a language <laughs> yeah you're, you're building a language framework yeah um i don't think this is good because <laughs> <laughs> because the thing that makes component-based javascript frameworks cool is that you get to write javascript in them (laughs) right you can write php in these where how where each one has in its render function it's in its request and response method okay so your query builder component has a request and response method you pull stuff in and it pushes stuff out okay okay Yeah, yeah so yeah this is a new language but okay sure yeah the problem is having like can can you do an entire application on one path in and one path out, you know? Well, I, yeah, that's what functional programming is. Oh, okay. This is like Phoenix or something. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Right? Because each of these components is basically a function. Right. That True. That takes totally. a bunch of XML arguments. Yes. Right. And then returns something. This is functional programming. <laughs> Yeah, you invented functional programming. Congratulations. You invented functional programming, but you did it with XML. Oh, this is really funny. Uh, Mm. Okay. (laughs) Settled. Settled. All right. Well, case closed. That was fun, though. That was a fun little exercise. Yeah, right? It's been a minute. been a minute since we had a fun little exercise like that. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. We should really learn functional programming. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if, like, when we when we reached the point in the conversation where we said, that's functional programming, we could then go deeper because we knew functional programming well? Because of the thought exercise? Yeah, well, like, what if this thought exercise didn't have to end at, we just invented functional programming? What if it could continue on into, like, a lot of functional programming principles and uh. how those would affect the thing? True. You know? Truth. But... Unfortunately, we've hit our wall where there's a black box called functional programming that we only kind of understand. I attended at least one or two lightning talks about it. So, Whew. so I mean, I so could, you understand I could go it pretty far. I do. Yeah. I mean, I know, I, I know the word monad. Ooh. Yep. But you're all like, 
Well, no, I guess you're you're non-dualistic. Is that what it is? Yeah, so non-dual thinking. Because of your non-dualism, you're very into monads. True. And not as much into dyads. Exactly. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not a monist. Mm, no, God forbid. That would be dualistic in itself. Yeah. Don't you to know? To claim that there was even dualism to not be. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so other topics. Um, other topics. I'm going to ViewConf. You are? Yeah, on Wednesday. You going to do, do a good job? Uh, attending? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Cool. I haven't thought at all about it. But Do you know anyone else going? Uh, Keith and Sam. Keith and Sam Keith and are Sam. good friends. We have a Titan booth. And, you have a tea, uh, a tea booth? Yeah. So we'll be... Where is it? Toronto? Toronto, yeah. Yeah, it's like a two and a half hour drive for me. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Sounds exciting. So that'll be fun. We'll see. Like I said, I haven't like considered it to be something awesome yet, so I hope it is. I bet it's cool. I bet it is. Yeah. I'm excited. So are we sponsoring? Is that why we have a booth? Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yep. You know? Yeah. I do know. So that's that. Uh, here's here's a couple other little things. Um, dealing with unlogged in users. So you're, uh, so you're building an app. And, yep. and in that app, they, you have a sign-up form with an email and a password and whatever okay but then let's say that lines get blurry and the client says we just want a form with an email and then we'll put in the rest of the data later we'll have them put in a password later okay that's fine create the use you know you have now you have two user states you have like you know initially signed in user and then fully signed in user because you're of course you're building a wizard and uh right so you have that um and then Let's say that they're like, you know what? We don't even want them to put in an email right away. We want them to start using the application right away. And then mm-hmm. we'll prompt them for an email in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So have you ever programmed something like this? No. So it seems like like a pretty, it seems like a like it's a, a trending UI pattern. Like it's a good right, UI right. pattern. Get them using the app. And then when they realize that none of this data is saved, then they'll create an account. Then they'll create an account. Right. And I right. imagine that this is only going to become more and more popular of an approach. Yeah, it's a good one. Right. So um, so basically, I'm working on this and there's these questions of like, well, I don't really know anything about how people approach this. I don't know. And I didn't, I guess I didn't do a ton of searching, but I haven't really seen a lot in the community about approaches to a concept like this um there's like fingerprinting where you like you know look at their ip and scroll through their their available fonts and stuff like that and create like a fingerprint hash for the user oh no i wouldn't do i would just give them a cookie yes you just give them a cookie that's a that's uh that's what i'm doing (laughs) so yeah uh so you give them a cookie the one thing Mm -hmm. i thought i i actually thought well what if you just create a user for every visitor and log them in immediately and then they just have a session token and the session expires and they're screwed or they sign up before then i let me tell you a horror story about this okay um which will well it's not really that much of a horror story but there is an iphone app that it's like the world series of poker iphone game okay right and you just play poker and you, you join a table, you'll tournament, you play, you either win some chips or you lose some chips, right? Yeah. And I had used this app at some point in the past. 
and it was fun. And then recently, I've been playing a little more poker, so I was like, all right, I'm going to play poker in this uh, World Series of Poker app, right? Yeah. And it, none of it's real money. It's just chips, you know? Yep. And uh, so I'm doing that, and it doesn't ask me to, like, sign in or anything, but my name is auto-generated, right? Like, I have, like, this whole, like, default profile or whatever and the name that the system assigned me was ice and um my my avatar was a little diamond okay um and at some point i was like all right i've been playing this enough that i think it's time for me to like log in right and like create a profile so i can like customize my name and stuff beyond ice um (laughs) so i press the create an account button it opens uh, Game Center or whatever yep. on my iPhone, and it logs me in because I had had an account before. Okay. Now, at this point, I've been winning tournaments for several days. Uh, I have like five million chips or something. Yep. Um, and it logs me into my old account from back in the day that had like 200,000 chips. <laughs> and there's no way to go back to those five million chips that I had. Bummer. And so there's got to be some sort of affordance for you have an account but don't know it. And so when you try and register, we don't just kick you into that old account or that and like lose all of your progress. Right. And so now you have to have like intelligent merges, you know, it's like, oh, well, clearly they're going to want all the chips they have, but they're, they might not want, you know. I don't know, whatever. There's there's all sorts of data on these two accounts, one of which is complete, one of which isn't. Right. Or one of which doesn't even exist and one of which is halfway complete. This is so this there's is a lot of merging complex. stuff to deal with. Yeah. Because if a user uh so let's say in my example I have a let's say let's say I create a user. If you visit if you visit this page, you get right into the app. You're in the app. And so that I don't have to maintain two versions of the app or the dashboard or whatever, I create a user in the user table. There's no information in it but a token. And I set that token in your cookie and I write some logic in like an auth guard to to log you in based on the cookie, right? So you start editing things and it's being added to this user model. And then I prompt you for sign up at some point. You then sign up and now you have an email address and a password and you're a first class user. Then you log out and you go back to this app how does it know to not, you know, then, then let's say you kind of think you're in your profile, but you're not, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what, so then you start creating some more data and then you go to log in and you log into this profile. And then it takes already, you to your right? old one and then you can't get back to the other one. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it really like this, unfortunately, this is one of those situations where it's like, well, that's why they pay us for this is because it's definitely a case by case basis of like which data is important like in some apps maybe it's like we can just discard all the data they created you know Mm -hmm. in other apps it's like oh well the data they created is the most valuable thing so we need to like create a new wizard that asks them which data they want to prioritize and you know right like if if we did but that's if we can detect a cookie from anonymous data Right. No, 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 no. It's like when they go to log in. Ah, when they right, go to right, log right. in, we're going to know which account they're trying to log in. Yeah, true. Right. Like if we see an existing cookie, existing temporary data, and they go to log in with old data, 
Yeah. You prompt them and, and say, like, hey, you have old data. Do you want us to merge your new data? Right. Right. Oh, yeah, man. So I wonder, like, it's is a there... a non-trivial situation. Yeah, yeah. Right. So in my scenario, which is pretty much a real-life scenario, that, um, that now I'm wondering, like, so what if... Like, how do you control that, you know? Like, you have to have interface hooks that you know that show people like hey you can log in at any time um or you just have to trust that that the user who comes to this page goes oh i already did this and then they can go Hmm. log in or something you know yeah Uh. well i mean you you also want to have like a good indication like uh one of the easiest ways to show someone that they should log in is by putting big bright pink sign up buttons everywhere right true and like you if you put sign up buttons everywhere then they're going to realize i'm not logged in yeah this is also an argument for extending the session lifetime from the default two hours yeah that would mitigate a lot of these issues do you know are there any like like locally i have my session set for like two weeks Mm -hmm. um but in production it's the default uh yeah 120 minutes right um so two hours and like why not just open it up why not just leave it indefinitely or at least a while i don't know like you know i mean maybe it's the default because for some scenarios that's really dangerous like i don't know like a banking app or something but but in general aren't you aren't you like pissed off when an app like you know here like forge forge has a really low session lifetime yeah, yeah, it kicks you out like almost. Envoyer has a much longer one. Um, I think, and I just know that because I'm more pissed off at Forge more often for like every time <laughs> I have to relog into Forge. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, but I think that's an app. That's an instance where it makes a lot of sense, right? I don't know. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, if someone gets a hold of your laptop, do we want them to go be able to bring down our client apps because they were able to get into your Forge? true but let me go to stripe and see so stripe i hit dashboard i am now into my stripe dashboard what they can't do anything from stripe dashboard though without a password yeah um right like they would prompt me for just the password when i go to take an action yeah like if you wanted to withdraw money or something yeah right those sensitive uh yeah yeah so so it- that, but it's not maybe that's the answer right is like infinite infinite session lifetime but anything like just destructive needs to ask for a password right yep and then, but has then to that, have some... that's kind of a trade-off right is like do you want to have the annoyance of asking for passwords all the time or do you want and like the well and if you build if i'm if my if i'm thinking correct like you you do something sensitive you enter the password but then you get to do more sensitive things without entering the password for a certain amount of time oh right so there's like a sub session yeah yeah sub session right yeah that's a good concept that's definitely yeah, a ui yeah, yeah. handy niceityness yeah you that's know? interesting yeah totally the, the, the sub session the sub session <laughs> that, that could be a good uh topic title like episode yeah. title well and that's kind of like what's going on with that half logged in user as well right okay like you've created a session now for this user right 
and then there's like this sub session that happens like once they log in right or is that the which one's the sub session well i mean you could just have a session and then some just have multiple sessions there doesn't need to be a hierarchy well you could just have one session session among you might be able to have two but you could just have one session and then store uh like a timestamp for last last password entered and just do a check on certain yeah although Um, you don't i don't well no i guess they couldn't alter that could they maybe you'd want to store like a hash of last password entered i mean you could store it in the database if you wanted and then you're fine Uh, that's true yeah 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 so that's interesting um that's one thing i've been dealing with so maybe here's another sort of thing to to have a, a pre logged in state of the app, um, it's it's easiest for me to create literally create a new user in the user table for every single person who visits the site. You know, it, yeah. heaps of garbage data. But yep. if I that's the con. The pro is that they're a first class user and all the code works exactly the same. I don't have conditionals everywhere. I don't have to manage two states of user. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you have junk just all over the place and you have to do other conditionals to filter out that junk from going into reporting software and you have to write like some sort of cron garbage collecting thing to clean up expired you know what's that what if here's an idea okay what if you uh used something like redis for this okay and just stored all that garbage data in redis where it's going to be garbage collected anyway and stuff Uh you know Okay. And then um, only like moved the data from Redis to the database when they sign up. Right. So that that's option A. And that's great for all the obvious reasons. The problem with that is you're not like you can't just have one user model now, you know. What do you mean? Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like the benefit of creating the user right away is you can Mm -hmm. you don't have to modify any code like the user can let's say they're like it's an invoicing app and you want to let them right into the dashboard and they can start creating invoices you create a user for them and you log in that user they're in now and they're doing they're working as if they're a first class user so they create an invoice it uses the users table the invoices model the endpoints you already have written with the validation and the authorization and then when they go to create an account all you're doing is adding an email to the email field and then bam like they have everything all ready where otherwise you'd have to create a whole new way of relating data, you know? So the reason you want to have that data in the database is so that you can go do something like see all the users, whether they're real or not. Like you could say user all instead. Yeah. um, Say that again. The reason you want them all stored together in one table yep. is because there's some operations you're going to want to do on batches of users. Not necessarily that might cross the boundary. I could store them in separate. So let's say, let's say I did like say you say you had a way where like depending on whether a user was logged in or not, right? The storage engine for the user model was either Redis, right. or MySQL. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, or even just a different, just a different table. Table. So let's say there's like users table, and then there's junk users table, and yeah. they have the exact same schema. And so, I mean, there's some initial problems already. Like you'd have to keep two schemas in parity, um, mm-hmm. and then you could use one model. You'd still have to know, you'd have to know globally that you have to switch the connections to 
well, it wouldn't be a connection. It would be a table. So maybe it would be better just have a complete, oh, yeah, what if you had like, that's interesting. If you had two databases, you have your normal MySQL database, then you have a SQLite file called like junk data, like, you know, whatever, or temporary mm-hmm. user's data. And the connection is on that database. And then when Until they officially in. sign up with their email, it takes all their records and you could probably use that whole strategy that uh who was it was it travis northcutt or whoever who talks about uh multi-tenancy uh no that's uh who is it who is it, who is it? Who is it? oh Help damn me. it what's his, darn it what's his name uh it's not travis tom schlick tom schlick tom schlick the multi-tenancy schlick wizard right yeah you could probably take that approach the like multi-database approach to multi-tenancy and you could just have one of the tenants just be not logged in users. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure there's a lot there, right? Like, so let's 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 think of this. Let's say we we run, and when you run migrations, they run on both databases. So you have like temporary yep. database yep. and normal database, mm-hmm. and so, and the user can do whatever they you know. So everything's all wired up. It works perfectly. Um, and let's say there's no functionality where they need to like search all users and whatever. So, so you can kind of, they can be isolated cause they don't need to see other users that are in the real database. Um, and then when they sign up, you just have to, I guess you just have to write a bunch of manual stuff to basically like take all their data and port it over. Can you think of any like clean way to do that? Yeah. Uh, you just hydrate the model, right? Well, oh, they're creating a bunch of data in a bunch of different tables. Right, right. Yeah. So there might have to just be some sort of manual thing that you Well, there'd have to be something that would like walk all of their data and move it one right. by one. Yep. That's, That's super interesting cool, though. though. Isn't cool that? Cool concept. Yeah. That's interesting. Be... Do you see any obvious like grave pitfalls with that? Yeah, it's just querying Anytime you're going to need to, like, say you needed, say you ran a migration, okay, like the recent Basecamp situation. Yeah. Uh, where they used int instead of big int. Right. Right? Oh, no, 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 you're running the migration, it's running on both databases. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the only, the only issue is, like, if you, if your data from one ever needs to touch the other. Right? Right. Like, say you wanted to run, um... So you wanted to run a report or something. Yep. Right? That was based on like how many how many of our users in Scotland are and maybe you just only would run that on logged in users, but maybe for some reason you wanted to say like what percentage of the Scottish people who use our website are, you know, doing some activity. And you would have to run that basically on two databases and merge the data. Right, for sure. Yeah. Like the idea, any sort of like analytics or metrics stuff that would be based on one database would right. be kind of shot. The idea, and I think in this case, they don't want it to be sort of a long lived thing. They don't want people to live in temporary. You know, like they want, mm-hmm. they would mm-hmm. give lots of UI hooks and maybe even restrictions. Like, But temporary is where you get all of the, like, say you needed like BI data yeah about like why people aren't signing up or whatever you know right or like you want to figure out how far through the funnel people are getting 
like all of that analytics data now lives in a database that's getting wiped every once in a while yeah true so i mean you could keep it alive i guess and just let it be giant yeah, and massive yeah at some or, point or you just like maybe you or you could just eat schedule or a scheduled like a cron job that kills individual users after a certain amount of time yeah of killing the whole database. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, there's definitely considerations, but I think it's a good idea. So anyway, yeah. Totally. I think this mm. might be the way to go. I don't know. Is that crazy? You know what is crazy? What is crazy? I'll tell you what's crazy. What's crazy is that one day Gregor Samsa awoke to discover that in the night he had been changed into a large beetle. Hmm. Oh, wait, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that is, uh, I didn't have time to Google it to get it exactly right. Let me, uh, as Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams. He found himself transformed in his bed into a gigantic insect. Uh, that is the first line of uh, The Metamorphosis by Kafka. Wow. And it's one of those like opening lines of a book that just like embeds itself in your brain. Have you ever read that book? No. It's about a guy who wakes up one day and he's a bug. <laughs> Very big one. Nice. He's on his back, though, right? Because he sleeps on his back. Oh, and he can't get up. He's a beetle. So, like, the first chapter or two of the book is just, like, this guy trying to figure out how to get right side up. That's awesome. And then his parents are, like, he lives with his parents. And they're, like, banging on the door trying to get to see why he's not going to work. And he he can't talk because <laughs> he's a bug. <laughs> Sounds yeah, like a good the, book. The, it's really something. I think you should read it. All right. It's Kafka. Put on the list. Kafka-esque. Kafka. Kafka. Oh. Good, good podcast. Decol podcast. Good to be back. Caleb, hey, what do you think about doing back. one of these every week until Christmas? I agree with that. I was actually going to suggest it to you. Okay. Because I kind of committed to it on Twitter already. Really? <laughs> Not really committed. Oh. I suggested it. Okay. Um. All right, so you you have it. You have our word every Friday, yeah, twenty percent time. And if we don't do it, um, I will. Ooh, ooh, remember Discipline December? Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Give money away. What's that? Remember how we remember how we did give money away if we didn't do something? Yep. Who? All right, I will donate twenty dollars to a charity of the listener's choice for every episode that we don't do until the end of the year same i feel like that's pretty low though twenty dollars yeah per episode right. yeah because ideally 50, we'll do fifty dollars fifty okay every episode that we miss between now and the end of 2018 caleb and i will each donate fifty dollars to a charity of the listener's choice okay so there settled settled i'm shaking on it shake i'm shaking here let me shake my microphone okay there we go me too yep okay all right all good right stuff man good stuff good Bye-bye. chat see ya Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
And a big shout out to Jared White for providing this music. 